two, three. Welcome to... <laughs> no, we gotta do it at the same time, so we're just gonna stay recording. Welcome, Welcome to, to a Florida, Florida thing. thing. I am your host, Tyler, with my grandmother. Grammel. Today we're gonna be talking about friends. First, the furry kind, since Florida banned greyhound racing and dogs need adopting, so Grammel gives us some tips on her experience with dogs. Then, in the second segment, we talk about making human friends at different stages of life and keeping up with them in quarantine. And then, in the third segment, we talk to my BFF on long-lasting friendship, her decision to have a baby via a sperm donor, and what it's like to be a biracial mom to white-passing kids. I've taken a Mucinex, so my voice sounds much better. (laughs) In this segment, we're going to be talking about friends, specifically our furry friends and dogs. So back in 2018, in November, voters voted to ban greyhound racing, and about 70% of voters favored that, and it, it would be phased out. But COVID hit. So now the some of the tracks are closing even sooner than expected. And so there are all these dogs that need to be adopted. The vote to ban greyhound racing was a really big deal because greyhound racing had been in Florida since 1931. It was the first state to allow paramutual wagering on dogs. And I found an article from 1939 in the Key West Citizen, so I'm going to read a little bit about what they say. And the article is titled, Dog Racing is a Doggy Business. Uh-huh. That's original. So I think maybe it's a dog-eat-dog business. Or, right, a doggy business, but it says doggy here. Okay, so it starts... It's dog racing time in Florida again. The sport is big business down here and in many other sections of the country. Now with four major tracks operating nightly through the December-April season in Miami alone. The several hundred dogs received care comparable with that of the top-notch thoroughbred horse. Um, Not so. Maybe back in the late 30s, but we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, I think that's some PR stuff. Anyway, top-hatted, red-coated stewards lead the colorful procession from the paddock where betters have made their pre-race inspection of the streamlined animals. Just like the, the adjectives in there. And then a little bit, let's go down a little bit. The barrier goes up and the greyhounds streak out after a mechanical rabbit, which they never catch. Greyhounds are valued at 50 to to $1,000 each. A few at several thousands. So in the 40s, that was a lot. That was a lot of money. Because people were going in to see the Greyhounds. It costs, how much do you think it cost them to get in? Four dollars. One of the ads that I saw from one of the newspapers was 20 cents to get into the track. And then it says, Rusty the Rabbit leads a merry chase as the racers hit the turn. Racing dogs cost about seven dollars a week for upkeep. Much less than horses. But their money winning days are usually limited to only two years, occasionally three. So they really don't have a long time. And then after they've been done racing, oftentimes not the best things happen to them. Sometimes they go to farms. Sometimes they're killed historically. Do they have uh, injuries a lot? Some of them break their leg. 
Wow. In the 90s, Greyhound racing constituted a multi-billion dollar industry, which was another reason why it was so hard to ban Greyhound racing because the state was getting money from that. And from the reports that I found, since 1931, the state made at least $4.38 billion from paramutual wagers. Wow. This was back a couple years ago. But some of the bad owners started to give the dogs drugs, cocaine. Did they have cocaine in uh, 1960? I don't know when it came to the world, but... I mean, they, you could go out on any street corner and buy it. I don't know. I wasn't alive then, weren't you? Yeah, I graduated in 1960. Well, we don't know. We don't know about that, but yeah. What does cocaine do to them besides kill a baby? Kill a baby? Kill them, maybe. Oh, yeah, definitely don't give cocaine to a baby. <laughs> Don't do drugs. This is oh, not a that drug. That answers a lot. Yeah, of this is not a, a pro drug cocaine no. podcast. Um, no. I think it gives them more energy and it can make them or run faster. They would start giving them cocaine. They would start giving them some kind of steroids, and they would train the dogs. And then they would some of them would keep them in cages for a long time. I want to say that that's not everybody, but that was definitely some owners. Because when I wrote this article, I got some people pushing back on, like, not all dog owners are bad. And and I got some strongly worded mail. Someone wrote to me and I wrote back, well, okay, like, let's, let me talk to you. Because they offered. And then I never heard back. But anyway, so there was some shady stuff going on with the dogs. In 2013, Florida started mandating tracks to report greyhound deaths. So it wasn't that... We haven't had that much time. And there were 400 deaths reported from 2013 to about 2018. Did you ever go to any of these tracks? I actually went to a dog, a greyhound dog race down in St. Petersburg before I graduated from high school. And they were mind-boggling. They were, I couldn't believe how fast they were. It was very interesting I paid a lot of attention to the dog. And what do you what do you remember about going to see the dogs back then? Well, at first it was exciting and they were so fast. But then it got kind of sad to me that they ran and never got anything. They didn't get a reward that I could see because they never caught that artificial creature. And um And they were never going to be able to catch it. And I thought that got really sad to me after a while. I remember going to the dog track. I want to say it's Derby Lanes. Yes. That's the same one? Yeah. Uh-huh. Is it, that St. Pete or Tampa? I think it's St. Pete, but you go like you're going over Gandhi Bridge. Okay. Which is, you know, right there in St. Pete. And then hop, skip, and jump over the bridge and you're in Tampa. In Tampa. So I remember going there. I don't, I must have been in either high school or a little bit maybe 19 a friend's family used to like to go to the dog track and they took me it's amazing the people that are interested in it right and i never understood i never i don't you know i don't like to gamble i like to keep my money yeah you know that's not something that i want to just be giving it away it's just kind of foreign to me um i mean i'm not against gambling for other people i just don't like to gamble remember that time we went on that gambling bus trip yeah to, where was it we've been on two cruises together that we never bet a penny right but the one trip that i'm thinking about they gave us a voucher to go to the oh casino. yeah oh that was yeah 
and we sat there. <laughs> <laughs> no, I remember. They had good food there. I think what they... And it was hot, so we had a lot of Coke. <laughs> well, because all of the people that were there I, were probably senior citizens, and they all loved yeah. to gamble on the... They wanted yeah. to do the slots. Yeah. And at least with card games, there's some kind of thought process, and I don't know about the slots, but that just doesn't seem fun to me. And with card games, you have interaction between all the people playing cards. Right. And with that, they don't seem to have... But a lot of people love it. A lot of people do, and I'm just <laughs> wondering, you know, more power to that. Well, I don't know. There's also gambling addiction, so I'm not sure... I'm pro, this is a pro gambling podcast. I don't know. Live your life, live your Well, choice. I know a lot of people that set a limit on what they will spend. Yeah. Especially on cruises and, and that's all they'll spend. And when that's gone, then it's gone. And I think that's, you know, life. I eat chocolate and when it's gone, it's gone. I think that was probably the most fun I've ever had at a gambling trip because I never liked the dog truck. I remember they had a great buffet. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Yes, and my friend, <laughs> my friend Bernie and I, we really liked the buffet. They had a really good buffet. I don't even. The band did, did too. It was just big. It had so much stuff on it. Uh-huh. So I, I mean, I know this as whatever as this sounds. I think when I was younger, I didn't really think about the dogs racing as. I mean, I thought it was sad, but I was there for the buffet. <laughs> uh, well, it took me a while to figure out how sad it was because they were. Could right. ever catch that creature. And I think that it, it had been happening for so long. You know, Derby Lane was just a thing that we knew about that I didn't even really... It took me a while to realize that, hey, racing dogs is not something that everybody thinks is okay. And actually, if you won, you didn't really win that much. I don't know. I think Well, I, the people I was with, they didn't really win that much, so... And I think that... I remember my friends, I don't even know if I bet or I help someone pick, because they have all kinds of wild names, Yeah, you know? So I was just picking based on the names that I like, <laughs> you know, like Barbie's Dream House uh. or whatever, or like Go Go Racer Fast As You Can or whatever, you know? And then you'd have like all of these wild, like long names, and then you'd have like Claire. Yeah, what? <laughs> <laughs> or Jet. <laughs> right, or Jet. <laughs> Something like that. Well, and um, it was kind of hard to figure out how to bet. I only went a few times. I only went once. Plus, I was still in high school, so I didn't have any money to be, uh, bet. You know, after becoming aware, of, I think just becoming more aware of the dogs, it's just the, and how they keep them cramped up. It's like how. Yeah, that's not nice. so sad. I started to really care about the greyhounds. I had always been interested in them, but. My boyfriend adopted a greyhound. He initially went to a farm to play with the greyhounds because, or play with them and pet them because they need love. And that's good therapy. Pet yeah, therapy. they have a lot of people that do that. Right. All over the United States. They're not used to walking on a leash and they don't know how to walk on tile or up the stairs. So they'll slip on the tile and they can't get up the stairs. That broke my heart when I heard that. Well, they learn, right? They do learn, but they just have been in cages and racing. So they haven't been in the house. And they often walk into sliding glass doors or step right into backyard pools. Because they've never seen a pool or body of water. Don't realize what it is. Right. So, of course, you know, they learn. But these Mm -hmm. are just some of the things that when they come straight from the track. And so he was just going to go play with some dogs for a while. And then this his dog came over and sat right on his lap mm-hmm. and would not move and he owned it. <laughs> yeah and the person was like I guess you know he chose 
you and you know if a dog chooses you like that it's really hard to say no I would think no dog's ever chosen me (laughs) I don't know why (laughs) I guess I'm more of a cat person but anyway um I just thought that was a lovable story and then I've been around that dog a lot and his name is Jet and so that was the name of the the dog at the track was Jet and he was a champion now he sleeps about 20 hours a day most dogs do. The greyhound does not like to be awake, I guess. I mean, like, he's just leisure. He's worked a lot, I feel, you know. How and old is he? I want to say he's, like, six or seven. Mm-hmm. And I want to say they li- live to about 15, I think. I don't have the data in front of me. I'm just remembering. So Jet is super lovable. And my favorite thing about Jet is that he will go to the door when he has to use the bathroom and then will come in. He does not love to be outside in the Florida heat. Smart dog. <laughs> Very smart. And then he just likes to be pet um, and just sleeps a lot. And I had thought about adopting a greyhound when I was living with you. Do you know that Hallmark has been adopting these dogs out and uh, providing funds, backing these places to take care of a lot of these uh, older, well, they're not all that old. Greyhounds. Oh, I haven't heard that. And Hallmark has been working on that for a couple of years. Really? And they talk about it on their shows a lot. And that what lovable, wonderful pets they make. I love that. And you're a huge Hallmark fan. Yes, I am. I must admit. I mean, one might even say an expert on that. Yes, yes. One might say (laughs) that. I know one person that would say that. But so I know that they I've watched some of it. I know that they've been adopting dogs on Hallmark, but so you're saying specifically greyhounds? Well they they have segments that they they mainly do uh that they concentrate on getting good homes. And they're all it's all over the United States that they know about all these homes in different states and they'll show them and and it's very, very heartwarming what they do. Because the dogs, they are super lovable, and they're just really good dogs. And and they're clean to take care of, I understand. They're super, well, I don't know if they're super easy to take care of. But well, their fur is right. friendly, and so on and so forth. But you and I had talked about adopting a greyhound, and, and what was your thoughts on that? Do you remember? Well, the only thing is that I walk with a cane, and bigger dogs uh, seem to be more gangly. And they don't mean to, but they can walk by you and knock you over with their tail. And uh, and then I wanted a dog that if the dog got sick, I could actually pick it up right. and take care of it. If I needed to take it to the vet or just take care of it at home, I needed a dog I could pick up. Right. And I think that they are great dogs, but they're very skinny, but they still weigh about I think Jet weighs about a hundred pounds. A lot of times that those kind of dogs are with the skinny dogs are not quite as uh, I know it don't sound right coordinated because he was a athlete. Right. But they don't get around in smaller areas as coordinatedly. Right. Because if he's on his hind legs, he's he's almost as tall as me. Yeah. He's about six foot. So. Talk to us a little bit about your experiences with dogs. I know you've had some over the years, and what have you learned about taking care of them? We, at least I, learn from animals, you know, because they are, they teach you things. And they are very, very dependent on you. And so it's uh, kind of a blessing to have one, and it's a precious relationship. 
aggravating sometimes. <laughs> Looks at Roxy. I'm a Christian, and the Bible talks about unconditional love. And I haven't personally known people that possess that very much. Dogs do. And I think that's just amazing that you observe that in them. They don't stay mad at you, or they don't even get mad at you. They don't hold a grudge. You can say, give me your tummy, and they'll give you their tummy. I would be mad at my husband half the time, and he'd come home from work, and I wouldn't even leave the kitchen to come out and say hi. Well, the dog would get up in the window and bark and carry on and jump on him and kiss him and lick him and all like that. And I'd just be going, hmm. So I learned that they do give you unconditional love, which is a wonderful, wonderful gift. And then I've learned also that you're, when you have a dog, you're very responsible for him. You need to take not as good a care of them as you do a child. They need a lot of care, a lot of attention, a lot of love. But they also need to, especially this day and time, to be taught rules and regulations. You know, if they get away from you, they could get hit by a car in a second. And so I think you have to, just like with children, you have to give them discipline with love. But no, there's no boundaries on that discipline. This is the way it's got to be. And they need a lot of time. You're not afraid of dogs. No. And I say that because I'm not I'm not necessarily afraid of dogs. I recently learned I'm more of a cat person, but we don't need to get into that. I love cats too. Right. I don't pet dogs that I don't know, who don't know me. Which is probably very wise. A lot of people think that's weird though, no. or like not friendly. No, they, you, I think you need to ask their permission. Right. Or let them come to you when you don't know a dog. Like John, every time he sees a dog, he is yeah. going over to pet the dog. And he's got their, his face down at the dog. <laughs> he can, loves dogs. He don't, you can get bit on the face. Right. I was thinking about this, though, because when I was younger, I was bit by a little dog. I have a scar on my finger. It was a finger, conquer spaniel, right? Something like that. And I just remember crying and being, it was like five years old or younger. Well, the, of the vicious dogs, once upon a time, Cocker Spaniels were number the little four. Ones. So I think ever since then, I've just been kind of, you know, wary of dogs. And I have had dogs that I've loved and, and, and that I like to be around. But I have to have trust in the dog. And the dog has to have trust in me before I want to pet it. Well, see, with a dog, you should not show any fear. Right. I'm not saying you're supposed to be stupid and get in their, you know, their territory. But you can't let them know. You got to, if they, you know, it's like anything, you know, they can smell fear. And they say, oh, we'll have fun with this guy. Well, that's tough because remember when I was younger, like Rottweilers or something would be roaming around in this neighborhood. Well, I learned with Rottweilers and any big dog, they seem to be very well-trained disciplinary wise. And I had two run at me one day and I was walking, didn't have anybody anybody with me or anything in my hand. And all I did was say, stay. And they got their little rumps or their good sized rumps right on the ground and they stopped and they sat. Mm-hmm. You don't, you have to just have your, a cool head. Don't do anything like put your hand down to pet them. Let them come to you. They'll tell you when they're ready to come smell your hand. But, you know, I my life isn't ruled by fear. Well, I think. And my husband used to say, Margie, you're going to find a, a Meet a dog someday, you cannot uh, buffalo, but that hasn't happened yet, even though I have two unfriendly dogs in my Well, and I think what I've, I've, you know, come to realize is that 
for me, it's the dog, it has a lot to do with the owners more so than the dogs. Because I mean, I think dogs generally at the default are loving, friendly creatures. Yeah. But I think it has a lot to do with the breeding too. The breeding, the owner. So I'm not holding anything against dogs. I love dogs, but I don't want to pet your dog if I don't know your dog. My niece that uh, lives in Atlanta had a pit bull and she, her name was Daisy. And she was the most lovable dog. And when she got to know you, she'd come sit on your foot where you couldn't get up because she wanted you to stay right there and pet her and play with. She wanted to throw her ball. Right. You to throw her ball. And I mean, she was a lovable thing. And but she and her master weighed about 95 pounds. And but she had her totally under control. And pit bulls are often known to be aggressive. I think they have that reputation. But Daisy and was the other dog? Bella. Yes. Daisy and Bella, right? Bella didn't wasn't vicious at all. Because um, she, she was part um, Dalmatian. I didn't know that. And then people get such a bond with their dogs because I think, you know, who you're talking about, I, she would choose her dog over a lot of people. Well, and she was very <laughs> tough. You know, she was a babe in total control of herself. Right. There you go. So Daisy knew her P's and Q's was to mine. Right. So I think it has a lot to do with the, the raising of the dogs and... I've learned, you know, you could learn from people that give them, you know, their territory where they feel like they know you then and then pet them. So I think that's a great place to end for us. We can. I have learned a lot from this and it's brought up good memories. And it almost, almost, I do have a nice big backyard, you know, but. Has I made you want to adopt a greyhound? I didn't say that <laughs> <laughs> because, but, you know, I do like dogs. And I do like Hallmark. And there are a lot of greyhounds that need to be adopted. Jets, brothers and sisters are out there. And a lot and people might not think that they could have a greyhound because it is a bigger dog, but it is a good apartment dog. They're very chill. They're yeah. very loving. They're not they're not grouchy. You know, and they need to get adopted as quickly as possible. And they've worked hard and done their best, given their bodies up for it. So we gotta give them a good too. It's wonderful to adopt senior dogs because that's what I've done the last three dogs. They're not so active so I can keep up with them and they deserve good golden years just like we deserve good golden years. I agree and I think that is a great place for us to end. (laughs) And I think Roxy thinks so too. (laughs) Are you saying it's about time? In the previous segment, we talked about furry friends and dogs, and now we're going to talk about human friends, how to make them at different stages of life, and how to keep up with them during quarantine, and also the value of having friends who don't necessarily think in the same ways that you do. You know, I've been thinking a lot about making friends when you're at different points of your life. I'm in my mid-30s. Not in my mid-30s. I'm in my early 30s. The first third. (laughs) (laughs) not mid-30s but a lot of folks have children or they already have their friend groups so I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about how you were able to make friends when you're a bit older at different stages in your life and then maybe talk about what you've been doing in quarantine I know you talked about the book club that you started I now text (laughs) and right and you were so against you never wanted a cell phone 
No, no. I was on your back because I'm like, if you're going to stay driving, you need a cell phone hey, just man. for that. He didn't offer to pay for it, but yes, sir. <laughs> yes, he did. He really did. <laughs> um, so I was happy that you got a cell phone. Then you weren't really using it. You didn't have text message on it because you got Jitterbug, which is geared towards senior citizens. And there was no texting. But then <laughs> why don't you tell them why you started texting? Well, I kept getting these. Uh, every now and then, once in a while, I would get something from my all ours pest and um, my uh, veterinarian. And I thought, well, with businesses, they must have cables, something or other that they can send you messages, ways other than the phone and so on and so forth. But on Easter, I got like 20 photos and I'm going, okay, now, what is this all about? And it was from a friend that lives in Ohio's granddaughters. And I think they sent something to me, meaning to send something to her. Make a long story short, I went wild. And my first bill had $76 extra on it. But I loved it. I loved it. So then I called. And now I have unlimited talk and text. And it's a great way. Like recently, I was showing a lot of my friends how my hair has grown out and then they showed they would text back pictures of how their hair looks and so and so forth and I find there's a lot of people that will text that aren't crazy about emailing or aren't even crazy about a telephone call you increased your audience by about a third and so now I'm hearing uh, from people that I maybe heard of heard from three times a year or something. But I, I like talking on the phone to my Oh, I do, I do too. And I mean, uh, it seems like my first cousins that call me, those are the telephone calls I get into that, you know, are two and three hours. But one of the nicest things is uh, a cousin of mine that calls me aunt and always has, she has these twin grandchildren and she sends me pictures of those babies all the time. They're now like 14 months old. And I feel like I know those children right. and they live in Virginia. And I've never even met their mother. And uh, now I've seen pictures of her. And she I think she's an awesome uh, mother just by the way she takes those many pictures of them doing all these awesome things. And so I have a feeling in my heart about those children. And so what I think I'm hearing is that you have to be able to communicate with your friends and the, the ways they want to communicate. If they're more into texting, then text those people. Yep. Don't call them or whatever, and try to figure out what that friend wants out of the communication. Now, I have two or three friends that prefers emails, and especially prayer requests. And that's good, because I can keep up with them and know what's going on, the good and the bad. And But you're right. Everybody has a different form of communicating. Then I have a, a friend that sends me stuff regularly, and I send her stuff regularly. Because, you know, we're kind of sitting around to a certain extent, People have figured out these things. And then I'm I'm somebody that's never afraid of being uh, turned down. If I text you and you don't text me back, well, that's fine. I'll probably forget about it in about right. 30 seconds because my forgetter works very well. So that's, you know. So you make we, the first move and I, you don't yeah. get offended if they don't text no, you back. No. And or call you back. I think that would solve some problems. For people, because we do get caught up sometimes like, oh, he's not calling me or he's not texting me or she's not texting me back or whatever. I figure everybody has a bad day and they have them regularly sometimes, you know, more than their share. I've never wanted anybody to be left out. When I go to a gathering, if I see somebody up against the wall and not chatting, I'm right over there. And 
Now, you know, I do get the message. I do get the message. If you don't want to be bothered, you don't want to be bothered. But I've had some wonderful experiences with people that don't sound like they want to be bothered. Right. And they do. Uh, Off the top of my head, you've made friends at Walgreens. Uh, Oh, insurance companies. Oh, Bill. Restaurants. That waitress. Yes. I can't remember her name. Michelle. Someone walking past the house with her dog. Oh, one of my best friends is a dog. She has a dog. And she's in her 40s. She's 40. He won. Now she had a birthday. And she would walk. I'd say hi. And she'd walk up. She had a doggy, Violet. And I have a dog, Roxy. And we became friends. We exchanged telephone numbers, so on and so forth. Then when this pandemic started, she was up in North Carolina visiting with her family. And when she got back, she called me and she said, Margie, I am 40 years old. I was in the Army. I haven't been sick, but maybe twice in 20 years. And I would like to do your grocery shopping. Mm -hmm. And it almost made me cry because... A lot of my, you know, friends don't want to go to the grocery store either. Right. So that was just wonderful. And then I met And that made me feel better because I was still in Mississippi at the time. Right. And my niece cousin that calls me Aunt Margie, she lives in Georgia. She wants to thank all these people because I have another friend that I met in karaoke. One goes to Publix for me and, and the other one goes to Aldi's for me. Another person lived across the street, said, we go to Sam's, anything you need, you let us know. And I said, well, I need bleach and I need alcohol, rubbing alcohol. (laughs) And she came over with her little son, who's precious, and brought it to me right then. I met this lady named Janet. I met this lady named Shirley. And we've just talked and talked. I never had known them before. And I think that's something that I try to take forward too, is just, you know, reaching out to people because the people sometimes that I think I'm going to be closest with, it turns out I'm not. Yeah. Some of them are the hardest ones to. Yeah. And some people (laughs) who I'm like, oh, we don't have anything in common end up just being fun, good people that I like to be around. Yeah, I've got a new friend that is just awesome and she's of a different religion. Now I have several new friends that are of different religions. Which is a great thing to be. We are supposed to be kind to one another and be willing to listen to one another. And this was all before the uh, pandemic. I have a friend from Egypt. I like having different friends. I like having guy friends, young friends, people of different religions, people of different color. That just makes life way more interesting. Interesting. And I think it's so important because it makes me think of one of my close friends. We're on different ends of the political. Is that the one that was in the service? The one, Yeah. And who we went to her wedding. Oh, wow. We had a blast at that wedding. I mean, wedding. she's amazing. And she's so funny because she, she's super into the Second Amendment, of course. And I always supported her because she knows how to use a gun. And she's <laughs> smart. So and, you want somebody in your corner that knows how to use a gun. And who will use it in the right way. I mean, whatever. <laughs> I'm not trying to get like anything about anything the Second started, Amendment. Yeah. But I, I felt comfortable with her knowing that if anything were to happen, she would know how to handle it. Uh-huh. And we would just have really good conversations about about everything because we were on different ends of the political spectrum, but we still cared about each other. She yeah. would always bring yeah. me food because we would work these long shifts and she would like make meat and bring me meat. She, you know, it was so sweet. We just didn't agree politically, but we, I learned a lot from her too, because she was a veteran and she has a different lifestyle than me, but we didn't judge each other. Yeah. When you have friends like that, not the people that go to the same church you do and live in the same kind of house and have the same kind of friends, they're much more interesting and much more exciting. And you learn and you a lot. learn so much from and them. And what kind of really made me think something is that 
everybody else, because I was in a lib more, everybody was very liberal in that situation. And so she felt like they wouldn't like hear her out. They just assumed she would be a certain way. And, you know, I've been in, in situations where people will assume I'm a certain way and they won't give me a chance to be friends with them or whatever. But then I was the only person from work that she invited to her wedding. Yeah. That you and I went to. And yeah. And, you know, like you were saying, you you talk a lot to people and we were at a table where nobody was trying to talk to us. Like, it's awkward. We don't know anyone. But we you and I will both strike up conversations because we're sitting with people for two hours. Yeah. But no one was trying to talk to us. But then you started talking to (laughs) Yeah. The guy behind me. And he taught me about vaping. Vaping. Yeah. He was in his like mid or late 20s or something. I taught him about karaoke. He was really, really neat, even though he was really, really tipsy. Tipsy. But but he stayed seated. I think when somebody is tipsy, they should kind of stay seated. That means there's some control. But anyway, and then I would talk to the people across. After a while, I didn't know who belonged to who. And no one I, wanted to talk to us there, but... Anyway, we had a good time. We ended up we having a, a good time. very good time. I remember, I think, that I know of, she was the first bride I knew that had a tattoo. Really? <laughs> I don't think I've ever been to a, a wedding that, if they had a tattoo, it didn't show. Kind of circling back to what we were talking about, you were married for a long time, and then you've been single later in life, so... How has making friends, and maybe what are your strategies, how have they changed throughout those seasons of your life? Well, I was married for 47 and a half years. I've been actually a widow for about 12 years, I guess it is now. I'll let y'all guess which one I like the best. But anyway, first of all, I don't push it. I don't push relationships. I've learned to let God fight a lot of my battles, and I just don't push it. Now, I can tell you. When I left my husband and went and stayed in that building apartment apartment complex, complex, I lost about 10 friends. Because they didn't agree with a For whatever reason. Long story, I'm not even going into it. But as time went by, I got 10 10 new friends. Mm -hmm. It was funny that 10 and 10. 10. I would just say, I don't push it. But weren't you saying you text people? Well, yeah. What do you mean by pushing it? I'll say hi to somebody, mm-hmm. and if they want to be friendly, I, I'll be right friendly back. But I don't know. See, I don't say I'm going to make friends with that person. I may say I would like to make friends with that person. To me, that's a different than pushing it and not pushing okay. it. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with pushing it because you might get some of your best friends by pushing it. I'm just saying I'm too old to push it. It's like, okay, I've lost 12 pounds in these three months or whatever, but I eat everything I want to because I'm too old to do without. But the Bible talks about balance. I, If I'm going to have two Hershey bars, that's going to be my meal. But I think your life should be balanced. And if you want to do something, if it's not against the law and it's not against God's law, do it, but do it in balance. I don't look at down at people that smoke. I don't look down at people who drink because I overeat. The only God helping me gets me some balance in life. I don't think we should ever judge anybody. We just had a great chat about friendship. 
over the years and stuff like that. And now we are going to talk to my BFF about friendship and motherhood. And as you're about to hear, you know, we had some fun. Tyler is recording. Now we're going to talk to my my bestie from then till now, my ride or die. She knows where the bodies are. Hey, 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 hey. There are no bodies, but if there were any, she would probably know. But this is, I was, I was thinking about it though. I feel like we're at the point of our lives now where if there actually were bodies, I don't think you would actually tell me because you wouldn't want to implicate me. And I don't think I would actually tell. I mean, I actually would tell you because I would need some advice. <laughs> but I don't think you would actually tell me. If I had a body, which I don't, I would not tell you. Because, <laughs> you know, I would like spiral. <laughs> I'm not good at hiding 100%. Bodies. If I washed my hands with non-antibacterial <laughs> soap, like if I just did it with like scented soap, I feel like you would spiral. If only if you try to touch me. What you do with Wait. your body is your choice, but not when you try to come into my space. Well, getting back to bodies, <laughs> at 77, you forget where the bodies are. So it's not a problem anymore. Maybe I'll share the bodies locations with you. <laughs> we are here with my bestie, Jessica, and she is in her new house, which I have not been able to visit yet because we are practicing social distancing, but I want to come see soon. So before we get started, I was hoping you would regale us with the story that you told me last week. I need an update about the snakes at your house. Oh my goodness. Okay. But so wait, I want to preface this. If you want to okay. leave the room, because I know you don't like snakes. <laughs> This is a pretty intense story. Can I eat my chocolate bar? Yeah, and I'll come get you when the story is over. So I think last week you were telling me this wild banana story about the snakes, and I still can't get over it. So remind me what happened. So I go outside, and I see this black racer come out. And I'm, like, freaking out, but, like, not really because I'm not scared of snakes, but, like, it comes out and then kind of goes through the bushes and then goes around. So I'm like, okay, whatever. There's a snake. And then another minute later, there was another one. And then another minute later, there was another one. And then another one. Like they were just following the same path. There was probably like 25 snakes. It was a lot. So I went to see kind of where these snakes were coming from. So I went closer to the action and it just like came and snapped at me. But like not really me because it was in my son's helmet, like his bicycle helmet. So like it snapped at the bicycle helmet, which is weird behavior for a black racer based off, you know, what I know about black racers. They're kind of like a really chill race of snakes. <laughs> racer <laughs> of snakes. <laughs> <laughs> so like it was really weird that it was like so coming at me, you know, because like I've owned several snakes in my life and like I haven't had except for one snake I haven't had any snakes like really lunge at me so like it was definitely a weird experience and that's when I went inside and started watching from out the window and then I just got bored so I stopped watching but there were like a ton well and the weird part to me is you were saying they were each following like a very specific path one after the other but not together not together like it was like a one minute two minute gap between each snake but they were coming under my fence and kind of going around the bushes and then going around the house, but all following the same path. And so this happened for about an hour if there was like 25 or 30 snakes. Like 15 minutes where I just was watching snake after snake. 
and then I got bored and then I went back out and there were still more. So God knows how, how many, you know, total. But <laughs> so I think there are a few logical explanations to what was happening. A, there's a curse somewhere. Maybe I'm not saying on your house because they weren't stopping at your house, but there's obviously a curse somewhere. Two, it's the apocalypse. Or three, they were going somewhere to mate or they had just come from mating and they were smelling each other. Or huh. I did not think the third, if we're going to be real, like I didn't think it was some sort of mating. So I definitely would go for the first two being more logical. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, this is some curse stuff happening around here. So that was like, what, a week or two ago? So what is the update? Have you cleansed your house? Have you burned sage? What, what have you done since then? I ended up talking to my neighbor who was like, yeah, man, I saw a snake in my garage and I sprayed snake repellent. And I was like, oh, okay. So then they were leaving your house and coming. So there was actually a logical explanation to what happened. There actually was. Like I fully, fully anticipated there being a curse on my house and on my land. But I was like, right, no, this makes way more sense. Yeah. So you don't have to burn down the new house that you just moved into. So I'm happy about that. I don't think I've ever even heard of snake repellent, though. That's that seems weird to me. It's weird to me, too. But I also just moved to Polk County and I'm like, nothing's out of the question. Like, (laughs) I mean, because that's kind of like the country. So they have some of their own remedies for things. Like snake repellent, whiskey. We don't know what it actually was, but like I'm here for it. I support it. And now I have a reason. So I'm glad that there's an update and I can rest easy knowing that your house does not have a curse once I come to it. So I'm going to go tell my grandmother it is safe for her. I think she's eating chocolate, so she might not come right back, but I'm going to let her know. Okay, so you and I have met at the Southern Baptist School that we were both attending. So we've known each other for more than half our lives at this point. Wow. (laughs) Oh my gosh, yeah. Yeah, and we've been pretty, I mean, I think we've been close since day one. You know, I'm trying to think of a catty response to that, and I have none, because honestly, yes, like from day one, we were kind of kindred souls. Like, I love you, and I love everything about you, and we had so much fun. You said something interesting to me. You said that you think one of the reasons why we became so close was because you were one of the only students of color at the school, and I was one of the only closeted, at the time, gay students. For sure. I think, you know, that we were two unique individuals, and I don't even have a word for what was happening at that school, but everybody kind of molded into, it was almost like if you've ever watched Stepford Wives, it was almost very that. I had gone to school with those folks since kindergarten because it was one of those schools that's like K through 12. And so I think at that time, I was thinking about my identity and realizing that I didn't necessarily fit in with these folks that I had gone to school with my whole life. And I guess that we gravitated toward each other. While I was interrogating my identity, you came along. And I think, you know, on that point, you know, I was one of the people who hadn't known you your whole life. So I was able to take outsider's point of view, like, hey, man, you're actually really cool outside of this identity. Obviously, it was more broken up and more rough around the edges than, you know, kind of simplifying it into that (laughs) sentence. You know what I mean? Around the edges. I think that's the thing. It's like finding someone who you can just be yourself with and that's not going to make fun of you. Like, 
we sing the whole Rent soundtrack one night, just being stupid. I did that last night, but I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I knew a, a school teacher there. She was ab- actually a substitute most of the time. She thought Christian kids were meaner, but she said maybe it's because they don't do drugs and they don't drink. <laughs> to take the edge off of whatever. That was a real eye-opener, because, you know, I had had Tyler share some things with me and so on and so forth. He shared the good stuff a lot more than he did the not-so-good stuff, because I guess that's how you treat a grandmother, um, except I'm not a typical grandmother. Well, and I do think that I should probably say that the school had these kind of morality contracts where if I would have come out, I would have been expelled. And that was one of my biggest fears at the time, because I was like, I won't ever get into college. But I do think those schools can be good for different types of students. And I think it was good for me for a while until I was realizing this part of my life. And I could keep it hidden and kind of away. Whereas, you know, as you were saying, as one of the only students of color at the school, you were on a different visibility. Being half black, like there's <laughs> like, I can't be like, no, I'm not. Like, I very much was. I think, you know, a lot of people were kind of upended by me and just, you know, me. And I'm also a very strong personality. Me, my color, plus me, you know, my voice and how I express myself and my hand movements and everything like that was something that could not be expected by anybody who was going to that school and just being so, like, by the book and just almost military-like. Definitely oppressive. Like, if you express yourself in any sort of way that wasn't the norm. My Bible professor was like, hey, I was like you. I was from the hood. And, you know, I had to tell this man, like, I live on Indian Rocks Beach. Okay. <laughs> you all live on Like, I'm not from the hood. Like, just because I'm half black and agnostic does not mean that, like, I've, like, had this, you know, like, you can put me in, like, this pocket just because I'm I'm biracial. Like, okay, so we're all from the hood. Like, that's not even, I'm not saying shit about the hood. I'm just saying, like, I'm not from that. So just to bring that to me was just such a weird, like, I feel like that was, like, my first kind of inclination. Like, oh, this is racism that I'm dealing. It was just like a really revealing moment. Like, oh, okay, now everything else makes sense. Like, I think that was my first picture of, oh, this is about my skin color. Like, this isn't about my beliefs or about how I behave or anything. This is just like about my skin color. Like, he's basing all of my actions off of that. It was just a very eye-opening experience. You know, I was expelled from the school because they told my mom I was on drug, which I was not. To clarify. <laughs> to clarify. I was, I was absolutely not. I had never even tried a drug at that point. And they did not drug test me. They just told my mom that I was on drugs. So then I got kicked out of my mom's house. I think, you know, we definitely met each other in that moment of life. And we were strengths to each other throughout the rest of our lives. For us, we've been friends for very major points of our lives. But we haven't always been in the same city. I know it's been messy and we've made it here to this day. You know, like on a broader scope, I just think, you know, like you've always been here, like for me personally, and I haven't left Florida. So like you've always been here for every monumental moment of my life. You've been here for my kids' birthdays. You know, you were here, you know, when I was pregnant and, you know, visited me. I was there when you graduated. I was there 
you know, through all these like milestones. So like, I feel like got to just kind of keep touch with the milestones, you know, and it's really important for you to be there. And, you know, I don't really know what's kept us strong, honestly. I have no idea how we made it this far because you and I had completely different paths. And uh, I mean, you know, we don't really have that much in common either. No shade to either one of us, but we just like different things. I literally hate poetry and you (laughs) have made a career. (laughs) And you don't like business and like, I love it. So I don't. I don't like spreadsheets and you love them. A little bit different with the things that we gravitate toward. So you have two kids and you had your second child via artificial insemination. Is that what it's called now? Or is it called like, what is it? In vitro. What is the term? Well, it's not in vitro because in vitro is like IVF, which is like if you're having fertility issues or anything like that. It was IUF that I went through, I think. I think I'm getting those initials right, but it was just a sperm donation. So like it wasn't, you know, anything kind of inserting into my egg or anything like that. They would just insert the sperm into me and then, you know, I would create the baby. So there was no fertility issues with my process. So then what led you to the decision to go through that process? Like originally, so I had wanted to do this for a while. I was just like, this is really important to me. I do want to have another kid. I'm not dating somebody. I have a dad figure for my son and it's a nightmare. So <laughs> Oh yeah, it's not all it's cracked up to be. <laughs> no. So I don't want to repeat that whole thing of like broken promises. And could I have gotten married? Yeah, probably. I've never met anybody who I was like, this is who I want to be with for the rest of my life. But I did know on that other point that I wanted to be a mother. And I wanted to be a mother of more than one kid. So I didn't feel like my lack of relationship and lack of wanting to kind of tie myself down to one person should impact that. So I called my mom just to make sure that she was on the same page as me because, you know, I am a single mom, so I need to make sure, you know, if I'm sick, somebody else can take care of the kids. It's not fair. It's kind of just like a husband. Like, you you can't rely on this other person, you know, for taking care of your kids without involving them in the situation. So I called my mom and just to make sure it was okay with her. And um, it was, finally, because I had brought this up before, but she was like, no. And finally, she was like, yeah, for sure. Big part of, you know, the sperm donor process is, you know, choosing whether or not you want your kid to ever be able to have the opportunity to meet the father. And I did choose that option. So she will meet him when she's 18. And she does have, at minimum, 32 other siblings. That's bananas. I didn't know that. 32? Yes. He had 32 other families. So one family is consisted of one person buying the sperm. So if one person had five kids from them, that would still be considered one family. So at minimum, she has 32 siblings, but God knows how many she actually has because there's no limit on how many times you can purchase from the same donor. I don't really understand why men do it, but I do appreciate the opportunity. Like I wouldn't have my daughter, you know, and she Mm. is amazing, honestly. I think they're going to have like a group chat. (laughs) (laughs) 
when they get older. I think it'll be really cool for her. But I definitely didn't want to take away her ability to meet her father, you know, when the time comes. If she wants to, it's totally her choice. It's not mine. You've done a great job, I'm sure. And uh, it is an education and it's something you wouldn't want to live without. I always really respected your decision and I, I just thought it made sense for you and where you were at to have a baby, another baby the way you did. But what were some of the responses that you got from other folks about the decision? Well, like the guy who I always thought would just be, you know, he was my back burner. Is it the same thing as a F buddy? <laughs> no, no. Like a back what? burner is like that person that like you always like, you know, you're going to end up with, but like he's on the back burner. Like other people take priority, but you know, you're going to end up with that person. Oh, the, the one that Hallmark Movies does a thing on uh if we're not married in 15 years, we'll get married to each other. Yes, yes, that okay. person. Okay. And his reaction, you know, when I told him I was going through with this, his reaction was, your kid is going to be a psychopath. Uh, like he had a really negative reaction to it. And I was like, you know, do you think that's going to change what I'm going to do moving forward? And he was like, no. And I was like, well, why would you say something negative like that? You know, so that was pretty much the end of our relationship. You know, the other reactions that I've had are just like, why didn't you go to a bar? Why didn't you just do it that way? You're that's probably where, that's probably where you would have got a psychopath. Race is a topic that you and I have spent a lot of time discussing. So what is it like being a biracial mother raising, as you've said, white passing kids? So that's been an interesting journey. I will tell you, you know, kind of, Based on, like, one of the first times I ever brought Sam out, my son, was to a bank. And one of, the, you know, the bank people were like, hey, it's so nice to meet you. Are you babysitting or are you a nanny? So oh, she really? gave me those two options, you know, because my son is so white passing. You know, like I said, he's just, he's blonde hair, blue eyed, white skin. Like, he does not look like me. If if you saw me, I am clearly biracial. I have brown skin, I have brown eyes, and I have dark curly hair. So I say clearly biracial, but a lot of people think I'm Puerto Rican. <laughs> you know, that was that was definitely a weird, you know, moment in my life. But that kind of set off like a chain reaction. You know, that was the first time I had ever brought him. And after that, you know, it's just kind of progressively just been the same. But at least, you know, I knew what to expect from white people. And I'm not trying to be racist when I say that. But like anybody of color can clearly see that that's my son. Anybody that's Hispanic can see that that's my son. But it, it seems to be a real barrier for white people to be able to see that that's my son, you know? And even when he was in public school, you know, as we got older, like I went to go pick him up for a mother-son lunch. And I was taking him and his best friend, who is Vietnamese. He's dark-skinned like me, but he is Vietnamese. And they were letting me take him out, but they stopped me from taking my son. They were like, you need to show proof you know, of being this child's mother, which was so weird <laughs> to me. Uh, that's <laughs> but yeah. totally expected. And, I, you know, I understood what I was doing when I went in there, you know, and it's really sad to say, but that's the state of the world right now. 
which needs to change 100%. But like, yes, as being a biracial parent to white passing kids, it's, 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 it's very difficult. It, it's very disarming. It, um, it's very invalidating. I love, you know, my kids, but it just, uh, you know, whenever we go in public places, you know, I'm aware of my surroundings. So I see it and it's, it's awful. Well, I'm sorry you have to go through that, Jessica. That's not fair. Yeah, it's not. It's not. It's not okay. Small-minded. People need to be aware of things, period. Just have an education and and just be kind. Mm, Just be kind. You don't have to just blurt out anything you want to say or just have a smile on your face and not be looking at somebody with a negative look on their face just be a i don't see why that's so hard to do one thing i i always remember from my my childhood was mama started me in uh church and we all went my brother and i and my mom daddy stayed home and made beef stew unless it was christmas was the song jesus loves the little children all the children of the world red and yellow black and white they're precious in his sight and I always just grew up with that. I was just alarmed when I met people that were unkind about it. It's just, you know, that's not the way God would have us be. Not the God I read in my Bible every day. I know your daughter is three and your son is eight. So I wanted to ask, with all of the experiences that you've had in raising your kids, how are you talking about race with them? Or how do you plan to talk about race with them? especially considering the Black Lives Matter movement and some of the other social justice issues that's been really prevalent this summer? Super interesting question. And, uh, you know, I think with my kids being white passing, it's a little bit more of a difficult conversation to have, you know? And I understand that Black women and Black men have to have the conversation with their kids about how to be in public. And I will never compare what I'm going through to what they're going through, like at all. I don't think it's comparable. You know, I just have to teach my kids at this point to be aware of the social injustices that are happening, you know, and to be supporters of equality. And, you know, it's, it's been really difficult to even approach that conversation because I don't have to have it because my kids are white passing. Been kind of difficult to kind of pinpoint, you know, where, you know, you don't want to take their innocence away. And I understand that black people don't have that privilege to not take their kids' innocence away because that just is. So it's really kind of embarrassing even to say, you know, as a biracial person, it's embarrassing to say, like, I don't have to deal with that with my kids, but I don't. So I haven't really broached the subject. I wanted to take him to the protests. I wanted to definitely be a part of that and just kind of have him engage with the Black community and understand that he's a part of it. I think that that's really important, but I haven't had the opportunity to do that. And honestly, and no shade on cops. I think cops are, you know, fantastic and I love what they do. And I, you know, call the cops when the time is necessary. And I think there, there are a lot of good ones, but going to the protests, like I was more scared of what the police officers would do than, you know, people of color which was a really frightening place for us to be because, you know, I don't ever want my kids to be scared of the police. 
which again is a privilege because you know black people with their black sons you know and black daughters need to almost essentially teach their kids at this point hey be cautious you know that's not something that i want my son to feel like and that's a huge privilege and i get that i totally understand that so it's kind of trying to find that middle line of you know understanding your heritage and understanding who you are while having the privilege of not being put on the ground if you are pulled over not being you know taken out of the car not having to put your hand you know and ask the officer for every move that you're trying to do like i i can't even put into words how awful it is to kind of just be in the center lines if you will it's just i don't know how to talk to my kids about this Mm -hmm. to me when a kid asks then they're ready to hear and he hasn't asked i mean he did make a couple comments about you know not really being black which really threw me for a loop (laughs) so like i think it's really important for him to meet his black family or the black side of my family to kind of just like reinitiate himself to the roots but he hasn't asked about anything yet so i'm just gonna kind of wait but again on the other side of that you know a lot of black parents don't have that leisure to be able to wait till their kids ask they have to have that conversation i'm sure you will handle it how it needs to be handled yeah eventually you know it's like uh kind of simplistic i guess but uh you know if your daughter or your son either one ask how babies are whatever have they asked that yet? Sam has asked, you know, how babies are born. I keep it very scientific, though. Right. But like with a little girl, you have to prepare her about Menzie and so on and so forth. But I just found that basically with my kids, because if you tell them stuff before they're ready for it, that you'll have to tell them again. They don't happen to be ready to hear that. Maybe they're ready to hear all kind of other things. Thank you so much for talking with us. I know you have a lot to do. You put your one kid to bed and now you got to go find where your other kid has scurried off to. I think across the street, but we'll see. We will talk to you soon. It was All right, I love you both. Thank love you. Love you too. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Bye. Bye. <laughs> yeah. See ya. That's our thing. See ya. So that is our episode on friends. Thanks for being a friend. Travel down the road and back again. Your heart is true. You're a pal and a confidant. (laughs) Call a dear friend today or contact them and say, hey. Do that and subscribe to the podcast. Yes. Send your friend the podcast. Oh, that would be wonderful. They would love it. Send your grandma the podcast. Especially your grandmother. We hope that you have a day filled with sunshine. And a little bit of uh, sunshine showers. Bye. See ya.